Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Sunday, March the 13th, 2022. It is currently 4.05 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And I hope everything is working correctly. We've been having a few internet problems here at the church over the last probably 20 minutes. I think everything is working correctly now. So we are going to press on and hopefully this will be beneficial. Um, if for some reason everything stops working, you know what you know what was happening, that we were having internet problems here at the church, which is always frustrating. But we're going to set all of that aside and we're going to press on because we have a lot of important things to discuss today, all right? A lot of important things to discuss today. And before before we get into the topic, let's lay, I, I, I do this a lot with a lot of things. I like to lay kind of a foundation sometimes before I really jump into the topic. I know, I know, I know, I know. I get a lot of, I, I just received an email just a couple of days ago complaining that I, I'm too long-winded and I just need to land the plane and I just need to get to the point. But I, I, I'm, I, I, I try to take that criticism and try to learn from it. But at the same time, I have kind of a, a way that I want things to go. And may, maybe that's maybe that's the wrong way to do things, but it's the way that I am committed to because I, I, I'm not, I guess I'm not interested in just trying to make sure you get a 15 minute, you know, a little, a couple of points in 15 minutes. I'm more, uh, I'm more interested in taking you on the long journey and trying to work through issues and ask difficult questions, try to study whatever we're studying and really kind of take you through the whole journey, not just say, okay, wait, just take five minutes. Here you go. Here's three points. Now move on. Some people want that. Others may say that there should be a, a healthy balance, but I, I, I've kind of, I mean, at this point, as long as I've been sitting in front of microphones and talking I kind of have my style and that's who I am. And I just have to either say, you know, if you like it, great. If you don't, uh, there's a million other podcasts for you to to choose from. I I don't, I hate to be that way, but at some point you can only be who you are. You can either try to be what everyone wants you to be. And then at some point you're not really doing, and my, this is my view. You're no longer really doing a real organic podcast. You're simply doing performance art. You figure out what people want and you give them what you want. And I'm not really interested in trying to give people, quote unquote, what they want. I feel like I just want, I want to turn on the microphone and give them what I feel people need in a way that is very true to who I am. So, um, so I hope you will be patient Is it's going to take a few minutes for us to get to the point. All right. Are you ready? Here we go. As a Christian, it is absolutely essential for your spiritual growth. It is absolutely critical for you uh, as a Christian engaged in spiritual warfare, because whether you like it or not, you're engaged in spiritual warfare because you have an enemy that roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom whom he may devour, which is Satan. You have the flesh that you're battling. You have the world that you're battling. You are in a spiritual war, whether you want to be or not. That's just the reality of the Christian life. And if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to have any Moving forward in the Christian life, what is absolutely critical and essential for that to occur is the word of God. 
You must read it. You must memorize it. You must meditate on it. And here, very important, you must study it. You must study the word of God. You must be consistent in in your study. You must be involved in systematic study of God's word, in-depth study of God's word, because it is the word of God that is your spiritual food. It is the word of God that keeps you from being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. It is the word of God that cleanses you spiritually. It is the word of God that helps you in your sanctification, helps you grow. The word of God is absolutely essential. And, and studying God's word, this is very important. If you're going to study God's word and, and that leads to rightly understanding it, rightly dividing it, rightly interpreting it, and rightly applying it, then you need tools. You need a good toolkit, right? There's lots of things that you may want to, you have a project you want to accomplish. You have something you want to do. In many cases, you need to figure out which new, which tools are going to be required for you to accomplish that task, whatever it may be, whatever you're working on, whatever you're building, whatever it is, there, there's um, in almost every situation like that, you need the proper tools. Without the proper tools, in many cases, you're going to have difficulty in accomplishing the task. Well, as a Christian who should be studying the Bible, you need the proper tools to ensure that you're studying the Bible in a correct way so that your understanding will be correct, that your interpretation will be correct, and that your application will be correct. And to help people be able to actually study the Bible in a correct way, I've always tried, I do everything in my power to try to give you the tools. I try to give you hermeneutical principles, and I try to give you the the tools you need to do Bible study, which is all about observation. Think of it this way. As a Christian, you need the Word of God. You need to study the Word of God. You You need to meditate on it. You need to memorize it. All of those things that we've already discussed. But when it comes to studying the Word of God, remember there's a, a couple of key parts of, of good Bible study. There is observation, which is really what Bible study is all about, is you observing the a text, observing the text. Your, remember, your observation is key to everything else. So Bible study at the very, at the very key, at the very key understanding of Bible study is its observation. Bible study is to help you correctly observe what's in the text. It's not designed for you to put something into t- the text, but you to open up the Bible and observe what is actually there. That's observation. Observation leads to interpretation. The quality of the observation determines the quality of your interpretation. So you observe, you interpret, then you apply. To be able to do really all three of those things, you need the right tools. And at least a starting point at the very basic level would be 12 methods of Bible study that every Christian should know. Because without these tools in your toolkit, I think you are left not properly equipped to actually study the Bible. I don't think you're equipped to observe it. I don't think you're equipped to interpret it. And you're definitely not equipped to apply it. You've got to have the following tools. And here are the 12 basic methods of Bible study. All right. Are you ready? Number one, the devotional method of Bible study. The devotional method of Bible study. It is the very, it's a, the very basic first step. And the reason the, uh, the devotional method is sometimes the first, meth, first step learned is because it becomes the last step in every other Bible study method. 
So the devotional method, it is basic. It is simple. Anyone can do it. Any, and you don't need a lot of reference tools. It, you, can, you, can, you can start working on the devotional method at any time. You can be, you can be sitting in a, a waiting room, waiting, you know, waiting for something, waiting for an appointment, and you can grab a Bible and a notebook and start working on the devotional method. You can, you can be working on the devo- devotional method anytime with very few resources. So there's the devotional method. Second, there's the chapter summary method. Again, you can do 90% of the chapter summary method with very few tools. You can do probably about 90% of it, maybe 80% of it, even without any actual uh, tools. But if you have just a few reference tools, you can do 100% of the method. And the chapter summary method, I, I, I believe personally, the chapter summary method is the most important method. If you were to ask me, what is the most important method of Bible study? The chapter summary method. Because the chapter summary method really helps prevent you, yourself, taking verses out of context, and it really protects you from other people taking verses out of context and trying to teach you something by ripping it out of context. You're kind of protected. You protect, you protect yourself from doing it, and you protect by being uh, misled or manipulated by others who would engage in such practice. But the devotional method? The chapter summary method. Third, the character quality method. The character quality method of Bible study. Next, the thematic method of Bible study. Next, the biographical method of Bible study. Next, the topical method of Bible study. Next, the word study method of Bible study. Now, I'm going to slow down because I'm just waiting for any second for someone to come into the chat going, you're going too fast, I'll slow down. The devotional method of Bible study, that's number one. Number two, the chapter summary method of Bible study. In my estimation, I believe the chapter summary method is the most important one. Hands down, I believe the chapter summary, every Christian on the planet should know the chapter summary method. The chapter summary method should start being taught to children, to teenagers. It, it should be uh, in every Sunday school class from the pulpit. It should be used in discipleship. It should be used anywhere and ev- everyone should know the chapter summary method. Everyone. Because it gives them the ability to study an actual chapter of the Bible doing observation which then then will can lead to proper interpretations. There's so many arguments in Christianity, and I think many of those arguments could be done away with if everyone would just properly understand how to do a chapter summary method, which is all about observing an actual chapter in its full context, right? So devotional method, chapter summary method, the character quality method. I'm not gonna, I I could talk about each one of these, but I, I won't right now. The thematic method, the thematic method, the biographical method, and, and, and you, already say, you already see character quality. You're talking about the different character qualities mentioned in the Bible and truly understanding those character qualities, whether negative or positive, right? I think that's very important because as Christians, we want to develop a biblical character. Do you have a biblical character or do you have a worldly character, right? Thematic method. They're, they're very important themes that appear in the Bible. Actually studying those methods, all right? That's the thematic method, all right? So they've got the character quality, thematic method. The biographical method. I don't know if you're aware of this, 
Uh, But if you read the Bible, it mentions lots of people. We need to study those people, their lives, understanding what makes them tick, their character, what what what, what was their motivation, what what what, what can we learn from them in a positive way, and what can we learn from them as a warning, and what not to do. The topical method. There's lots of topple. There's lots of topics mentioned in the Bible. The word study method of Bible study. I don't know if you're aware of this. There's lots of words in the Bible, right? Word study, the book background method of Bible study. I don't know if you realize this. I know I'm going to say that over and over and over, but you need to understand the background of each book you're studying. I, to me, I, I, it really, like if someone wants to start arguing with me about something in, a, in a, a, a verse or something in a chapter, they want to start arguing with me. I, I almost have a tendency to stop and go, okay, tell me about the background of the book. When was it written? Who was it written to? What was its purpose? What was the historical context? And if they can't tell me, I really just, I don't have no desire to engage in any major discussion with them because what's the point? I mean, you know, there, we, we can't, we can't, we, we have to have all the same observations before we can debate interpretation. And if you don't even know the purpose of a book, the reason of the book, the why, the who, the what, the where, the when, the how, then there's no way our, our whole way of interpreting the book is going to be different. And I, and I use Hebrews like this all the time. So many people read the book of Hebrews and they wanted to get into so many arguments about soteriology, whether you can lose your salvation and how do we interpret all of these warnings. And I always stop and go, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we start debating all of that, tell me a little bit about Hebrews. And if they can't identify that Hebrews was written around between 66, 67, 68 AD, right before the destruction of the temple, if they don't understand that historical context and that Hebrews was written to Jews, warning them that their entire religious system, which we would refer to as Judaism, was about to be wiped off the face of the earth and that it was, it was going to basically cease to exist in any meaningful biblical way. If we understand those warnings, warning them about, hey, everything you have in Judaism is going to be destroyed. You need something better. You need a better sacrifice. You need a better high priest. You need a better temple. You need a better everything. And Jesus is that better thing. If you understand that, then it changes the way you interpret it. But if they don't understand that background, well, then we can argue all day, but I'm arguing from the from the perspective of the historical setting of the book. And the only way to get that is the book background method. So let me go through these one more time. The devotional method, the chapter summary method, the character quality method, the thematic method, the biographical method, the topical method, the word study method, the book background method, the book survey method, the chapter analysis method, the book synthesis method, the verse-by-verse analysis method. Let's go through them one more time. Number one, the devotional method. Number two, the chapter summary method. Number three, the character quality method. Number four, the thematic method. Number five, the biographical method. Number six, the topical method. Number seven, the word study method. Number eight, the book background method. Uh, Number nine, the book survey method. Number 10, the chapter analysis method. 
Number 11, the book synthesis method. And number 12, the verse-by-verse analysis method. You learn all 12 of those methods. You've got a toolkit and you can use these tools whenever they are needed, whenever it's appropriate to help you listen, observe the text, that you can do observation, you can observe the text, and you can listen, very important, then hopefully start working on interpreting the text, and then you can correctly apply the text. You need a full toolkit. There are some Christians, their toolkit, you're like, uh, what do you have in your toolkit? And they have, well, I got a highlighter. I know how to highlight. I, I know how to, I, I can read. I, 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 can, I, can, I, can, I can tell you what I feel. I can tell you what I think it means to me. All right? And you're like, well, that's not a very good toolkit. I, I, think, I think we need to, we need to take you down to, to, I don't know, Home Depot and get you a new toolkit. And here you go. Here's 12, here's 12 methods of study that will help you along the way. And so you need these methods. You need them. You need to master them. You need to do them. Now, here's the thing. I can tell people about the 12 methods. And you know what they'll do? They're like, oh, that sounds awesome. Oh, that sounds great. I'm like, okay, you want to learn them? Okay, I'll teach you all 12. Here's the thing. I'll teach you. You do each method. You send me your work. And they'll be like, yeah, this is great. And we'll go devotional method. Yeah, they'll do it. Chapter uh, summary method. Okay, you, you, you can hear just a little kind of the, the excitement has lessened a little bit. And then you're like, okay, let's go to character quality method. And usually at that point, they're like, I'm done. I quit. I'm done. If they make it through character quality, they usually never make it through the thematic. They usually definitely give up in thematic. They may show back up for biographical. And then usually by topical word study or book background method, that, that's it. They've dropped completely out and they're done and they're finished. And because in reality, the, the idea of study, the idea of studying the Bible is more attractive than the actual work of studying the Bible. See, everybody wants to say that they're a Bible student. Everyone wants to be able to speak up in small group in Sunday school to tell everyone what they think a verse means. But nobody really wants to be sitting there at home where there's no glory, no spotlight. Nobody's going to praise you. Just sitting there at a table or a desk hour after hour with a notebook and reference tools, just working and 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 working because it requires work. Everyone, I would hope every Christian at least has a desire to study the Bible. I, I, I truly believe, I mean, I think every Christian should have a desire to study the Bible. But that desire does not always translate into actual work, an actual putting in the effort. And many Christians don't find it fun. I, I, that's, that's what always blow, that, that always has blown my mind. I don't get that. I want to think like if, if you could get three Christians together, what are we going to do tonight? Let's, let's, let's pull out the chapter analysis method and work on a chapter in Leviticus. And many Christians would be like, are you out of your mind? No, 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 no. I was thinking about watching a movie on Netflix or maybe going out or like, no, no, that doesn't sound fun. Now, maybe, maybe. And I, and I know I've always said this, that there is a distinction 
I know um, sometimes Protestants don't like to hear this, but there, I think there's truth to this, that there is a difference between those who may be called to full-time ministry versus the average layperson. I think that there should be a greater hunger and a desire for God's word in someone called to ministry. I think that's that, that desire for God's word, that desire to study it, that desire to talk about it, that desire to teach it. I think it has to be absolutely an essential part of anyone who's ever going to go into ministry. If you don't love it and desire it basically all the time, then there's something seriously wrong with your claim to be called to the ministry. That's why I'm always baffled when pastors are like, I just got burned out. And I think maybe they get burned out from all of the nonsense going on in ministry. Hopefully they don't get burned out from reading and studying God's word. Hopefully it doesn't. But even though you may be a lay person and not a full-time minister, make it very clear, the Bible still says, blessed is the man who meditates on God's word day and night. The Bible still says to the lay person, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere milk of God's word that you may grow thereby. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And as a Christian, you're supposed to be equipped so you won't be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, and you're supposed to be equipped to ministry. So it's still applicable in many ways to you as well. How much do you hunger and desire God's word? Are you wanting to actually study it? Well, you need the tools. And those methods are the tools. Now, I spend 21 minutes laying that foundation. See, I know why people get upset with me doing this, but I think this is just very important. Now, I did all of this because I received an email yesterday at 6.47 p.m. They stated this. Under no circumstance should you allow this email to disrupt, distract, or derail you from being properly prepared for Sunday's sermon. I greatly appreciate that, that they are considerate and even thinking about Sunday's sermon and realizing emailing a pastor and asking them something. So I greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate that, and that shows great respect for the sermon that has to be preached. But they go on to say, I made an attempt at applying the space pets method or devotional method to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 20. Now, that's great. He's looking at James 1, 2 through 20. He pulls out of his toolkit the devotional method of Bible study, which utilizes an acronym known as space pets. I've included a work, I've included a work, I've included a photo of my work below. Now, they, they, they wrote it in pen, which right there demonstrates that it's blasphemous and it's wrong, okay, because everything should be in pencil, right? Everything should be in pencil, because pencil reminds us that we are, we're probably going to have to erase whatever we do. But okay, all right, they did it in pen. Uh, this says, so I can be reminded how fallible I am, which is an interesting thing. If you put it in pen, you can't erase it. So then it's always there to remind you of your mistakes. That, that's, that's a good way of doing it. That's a different way of looking at it, but okay. Um, I, I'm still missing the application portion. Um, just, just so the individual understands, and this is for everyone, the space pets is part of the application process, but I know what they're saying. If you learn the whole devotional method, I understand there, there's a part still missing of the application, but I, so I understand. Um, but as I began to ponder it, I realized it wouldn't fit on my paper and also that I needed to dwell on it further. Homework for tomorrow. My intention is to share this method with my small group on Tuesday and use this passage in James as an example text to work through together. 
Well, that just, I, I got all excited right there. I'm like, awesome, awesome. Uh, he learned, he heard me teach on this method. Now he's going to teach other people. And the more people who learn it, more people have that tool. So in a sense, he's going to take his small group to Home Depot and he's going to give them some tools and he's going to give them a tool, hopefully that they will not only be excited about, but they will use for years to come, at least in the application of uh, the Bible, all right? If it's possible, I wanted to get your input on whether you think I'm on the right track and applying the method. I also plan to listen to your podcast on the topic again to make sure I understand each section well. So here's what I decided to do. I decided this Sunday afternoon, right here in the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church in the middle of nowhere, Texas, that I would just reach over, grab my Bible, I would reach over, grab my Bible. I'm, I'm checking something. I'm making sure nobody is sending me or having any questions, okay? I would open it up to the book of James and that we, you and I, whoever is listening, on whatever platform you may be listening on, that you can open your Bible as well. Grab a notebook. I have, a, I have my journal right here. I've got a pencil. The only truly biblical uh, writing utensil as a pencil, okay? Um, I got a pencil, and what we're going to do is we're going to work on James chapter 1, not 2 through 20, but 1 through 20, because I don't think we should skip verse 1, 1 through 20, and we're just going to do this. This is impromptu. I have no notes. I have not worked on this in advance. I've not done anything in advance to prepare for this. I want to, in real time, I want this to be like, you just stop by the church. You're, you're, you're driving past, you know, uh, Victory Baptist Church in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Probably your GPS stopped working and you got lost. And you, and you drive by and you're like, oh, I think that's that place where Theology Central Podcast comes from. There's his car. Let me stop and go in. And you walk in like, hey, what are you doing? Well, I'm getting ready to, to do the devotional method on James chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. Well, can I join in? Well, sure. Grab a Bible. Grab a notebook. Let's get something to drink. Right, you can't you can't have my water, but okay, I've got my water. And let's work on it together in real time. Now, this is very important to understand. Very important. The devotional method, its primary focus is on application, not on necessarily, well, I will say the it's on observation and application. It's not necessarily on interpretation. Just understand that. But we're just going to work through it. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to demonstrate to you that the way I, because I've been using the method for so long, I am going to try to be very careful and not just, I may be throwing things out and you may be like, wait, where did he get that? How did, how did, I am going to try to, to try to be remind, remind myself that there are people actually listening. Um, because what I would have a tendency to do is after, let's say I've worked, I would probably do, this is how I would probably work it. I typically would probably do a chapter summary method on James chapter one. And then when I finished the chapter summary method, the last step of that method is basically the devotional method. Then I would do the devotional method. So that means I would have already read James multiple times. So I, I'm so there's a lot of things I would have already done, which would lead me to almost having more of an interpretation already in mind before I start the application. But that's okay. We're just going to go with this in this way. So here's what I would tell you to do. 
If you were doing this method correctly and you were to walk into the church, the first thing we would do is we would sit here together and we would read James chapter one five times. We would read the chapter five times before we even got to space pets, right? We would just read it and read it. And one of those times would be out loud, all right? So I hope that I'm assuming the person who has started working on it has read the chapter five times or at least a section, James 1 through 20, five times, or 2 through 20 is what he uh, put down on his paper. But if you haven't, I would challenge you to do that. But what we're going to do is we're not going to sit here and read it five times. We're just going to start working through it, all right? I don't know how far we're going to get, but what my goal here is just to throw out maybe some things that he had not even considered, maybe not even thought about, and maybe that will be, maybe this will be beneficial in helping him formulate what to do, okay? So here we go. I'm going to open up my list of space pets just so that we have them. First thing we read is James chapter one, verse one. Everybody ready? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Now, I know this is not in his notes, but I, I wanted to include this because one, I think verse two and following kind of flows from the, the kind of the situation being described in verse one. The fact that there are some p- tribes that are scattered abroad may indicate, some, what, what is it referring to? What, what is that referring to? And I think that then may come into play to understand what, why they're going to talk about what they do in verses two and following. But Here's what I would say. If you remember in Space Pets, the acrostic, just so that you remember, uh, the S stands for sins to confess, P for promises to claim, A for attitudes to change, C a command to obey, E an example to follow, P for pets, prayer to pray, E is error to avoid, T is truth to believe, and S is something to praise God for. All right, Space Pets, it's an acrostic. So let's look at James chapter one, verse one, and see if any thing just jumps out at you. First, James. Stop right there. James. Now, immediately I go to the E, an example to follow. What do I know about this James that could serve as an example that I could follow? What what example does James gives me that I could follow? Or what example could I learn from James that I should avoid? So if we were doing this, I'd be like, well, we don't have time to do a full biographical study on James uh, because that would, that would delay us doing the devotional method. But I would probably say, let's grab a Bible dictionary really quick. Let's look up and see what we can read about James and see if there's something there that just jumps out going, man, that's an example to follow right there. That's an example or whoa, James did what? Okay, we want to avoid that at all costs. So I think there, there is an example right there James is mentioned. What, 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 what can we do? All right. What, what, what should we follow? What should we avoid? I'm not going to do that right now in real time because that would take a little bit of time. I've got a Bible dictionary right here. Okay. But it, you don't have to do that. But I'm just saying, as soon as I see the name, I'm just, I'm just telling you how my mind works. I immediately go an example. It's either going to be a good one or a bad one, or it's going to be both. Okay, so if it's both, I may write down one good thing I could I learned from James to follow, or one good example, or one and maybe one bad example. Right, James, 
a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James is my example, servant. What do I have there? Let's let's go through. Sins to confess, promises to claim, attitudes to change, command to obey, example to follow, prayer, error, truth, something to praise God for. Well, I start thinking of it this way. Well, James calls himself a servant of God. He refers to himself as a servant. I would stop and go, I wonder, what does that word servant mean? This this is just something I may do here. All right. I may go here, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to the uh, Blue Letter Bible app. I'm going to the interlinear. Right. He calls himself uh, James of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant. It is this word, servant. Strong's G, 1401, doulos, doulos. Doulos, doulos is used 127 times. Doulos means, is translated as servant, 120, bond six times, bondman one time. Strong's definition of doulos is a slave, literal or figurative, involuntary or voluntary, right? It is refers to a slave. It's outlined in biblical usage, a slave. A man of servile condition, a slave, one who gives himself up to another's will, whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. So when I think about space pets, I think immediately I have, and I could already think of some possible examples to follow or maybe to avoid by looking up in the Bible dictionary a little bit about James. But guess what I have here with the word servant? I have an example. James refers to himself as a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That shows a humility. That shows not an exalting of self, but realizing I'm a slave. It's not about me. It's about God's will. All right. So I could possibly put that down as an example, but guess what I, I, I could put down here? I could put down an attitude. An attitude. Now, sometimes we, I put down an attitude to change. Sometimes I just will put, put uh, here when I do space pets, an attitude. Do I have an attitude of a servant? Do I have the attitude that I am a slave to Jesus Christ? Do I have an attitude that I'm a slave here to do his will? Or do I have the mindset that I am the one who's so, supposed to be served? Let me say it this way. Do I see myself as a slave to God or do I see God as my slave? Now, we would never say those words. We'd be like, perish the thought. But many Christians almost treat like God is here to serve me. God, I need this, 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 this. And if you don't do it my way, I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be bitter and I'm going to be frustrated. But do I have the right attitude there? Is this an attitude? Do I need to change my attitude that I have the attitude of a slave? I have the attitude of a servant. And if you learn a little bit about this James and who this James may be, I'm not going to give it away. It may be very interesting that this James could possibly be in a position from an earthly perspective that he could exalt himself and go, I am James. 
I am the brother of, I'm not going to give it away. But no, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't exalt himself or use his position. He speaks of himself as a slave. That's an attitude. Do I have the attitude of a slave? Do I have the attitude of a servant? So I have an example to follow. May have multiple examples, but here's another example. I have an attitude to change. This is interesting. Do I have a sin to confess? Would it be a sin to not have the attitude of a servant, but to be one who exalts themselves? Is that an actual sin? Not, is it a sin not to have the attitude of a servant or of a slave? Well, Philippians 2 tells me how I'm supposed to think, that I'm supposed to have the same mind that is in Christ Jesus. I'm supposed to place others before myself. So I think I could biblically argue it would be a sin. Now, I got to make sure it's an actual biblical sin. But I believe here in James 1, I got, James is mentioned. So I would possibly look up James and see, is there an example to follow or an example to follow? James refers to himself as a servant. Well, the fact he refers to himself as a servant, that is an example to follow. Do I see myself as a servant, as a slave? Right? Then I may say, this is an attitude. I need to develop an attitude of being a servant, a slave. Now, when I write out my full application, I would try to write out, what can I do tomorrow, Monday, right? Monday, what's what's tomorrow's date? Monday, March the 14th, 2022. What can I do Monday, March the 14th, to help me develop the attitude of a slave? Help me develop the attitude of, and I would try to think of something specific that I could do but I at least can identify that's an attitude I need to work on. It may be a sin I need to confess. Now, if I'm, if this, this is very important. If I write down a sin to confess, I definitely need to write a scripture that would clearly prove it's a sin. Here, James 1, uh, 1 that wouldn't prove that it's a sin. Right, right now, it's an example. I would need another scripture that says, no, here's the attitude you're supposed to have. And I can think of some, right? What did Jesus say? Deny yourself, die to self, follow self. Philippians 2, putting others before yourself. Yeah, if I don't have the attitude of a servant and a slave, then that's, I'm going to have the wrong attitude. So that would be a sin to confess. So I have example, I have attitude, and I have a sin to confess. All right. Now, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, which are scattered abroad, greeting. What does it mean scattered abroad? Scattered abroad. Now, because this is a devotional method, I'm not going to have you try to figure that out because that would require you maybe looking up in a, a study, a Bible study or a study Bible or a commentary. What, what are they referring to that they're scattered abroad? What, what is that referring to? That may require a little bit of extra work. For the devotional method, you, now, typically the devotional method is the last method that you're doing. So you would already know what the scattered abroad is referring to. So then there would probably be application. I'm not going to worry about that right now, but we could figure that out. But let's say this. If the scattered abroad is referencing something negative, something bad, like a trial, trouble that the 12 tribes have experienced and that they've been scattered abroad because of persecution or because of something that's happened, that will be very critical in in verses 2 through 20. But just initially, like I could just do that sitting 
You know, if I'm waiting to get the oil changed in my car, James. What do I know about James? Now, I know I, t- I said look up a Bible dictionary, but so I'm already, I'm, I'm kind of violating the method a little bit, but you get the idea. But a servant of God, the fact that James refers to himself as a servant of God, and if I know anything about that James, I mean, that's an example. That's an attitude I need to develop, and it may be a sin I need to confess. All right, verse two. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. All right, here we go. Now we're going to jump right in. What do we have here? My brethren, count it all joy. Well, would we refer to this as a command? Is this a command that for all of us, that we are to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations? When we experience temptations, trial, tribulation, are we to count it all joy? That seems to be the implication right here, right? So I would definitely put down as a possible command to obey. A command to obey. Count it all joy when I fall into. Next, do I have an attitude to change? Yeah. I need to have an attitude of joy when facing diverse temptations. Now, we may want to stop and figure out what the word temptation is referring to. Is it it temptation like being tempted to sin? Is it a trial? Is it a mixture of both? We could have a long discussion here. But I definitely see a command to obey. I definitely see a command to obey that I need to count it all joy. And I see immediately an attitude to change. I immediately have an attitude to change. I need an attitude of joy when facing these kinds of of difficult things. All right? Difficult things. I could have a sin to confess. Lord, I I in fact, if now remember when you do when you're doing this method, it's about it's about really examining yourself, right? It's not about just Oh, I need to fill out the piece of paper. If, if it turns into just an assignment to complete, I'm sorry, you're not doing the Bible study method right. Here, here's where you're really looking at yourself. And I'd be like, wow, okay, a sin to confess. Now, when I'm going to confess the sin, it's got to be something like very specific, right? So for example, let's go back to uh, James, a servant of God. I could say, Lord, yesterday, I faced this situation and I did not have the attitude of a servant. I basically felt that people should be serving me and I should not be serving others. I did not have the attitude of a slave. I had the attitude of someone wanting to be served. Lord, forgive me, right? And then I'm going to think of what am I going to do about that? So here, count it all joy. I could say, Lord, here's the situation. This happened. I did not count it all joy. I did not have joy. I had frustration, had bitterness, had anger, had discouragement. I had, and you have to be specific in writing it out. If it's just vain, it's just, it's very general, it's vague, then it becomes vain. It becomes meaningless exercise and futility. It's, you've got to really be open and honest with yourself. This is about you looking in the mirror and really figuring out what's going on in your life. So count it all joy is a command. Count it all joy is an attitude. Count it all joy could be a sin to confess. Could be a sin to confess. Now, this one, 
verse one about James being a servant didn't hit me. And, and, this, and this is where there's always gonna be differences. It didn't jump out at me immediately when I first thought about it. Verse two definitely hit me a little bit harder today about counting it all joy when, well, things don't go your way. When you have diverse temptations, whatever you're experiencing. So I would possibly jump over to, to the, the acronym for PETS, prayer to pray. Is there anything I need to pray back to God? I may say that I need to pray about my lack of joy when facing difficult circumstances. I need to pray more about it. Lord, give me an attitude of joy when I face diverse temptation. I need, it's a, and again, when you say it's a sin to confess, you've got to really write down what you're confessing. Now, I, I, sometimes I just fear some people will be like, oh, there's an S. Sin to confess. Okay, great. What sin? Come on, come on. Now, I'm not saying you have to write it down and share it with someone. I'm saying in your own personal application, it needs to be written out. What specifically are you confessing? If it's not applicable to you, you can identify it as being a possible sin. But remember, this is personal application. Personal application. So if if you feel like you counted all joy, then you got nothing to confess. You can say, well, it could be a sin. No, it's about your sin. It's not about you trying to apply this to anybody else. So let's go through these again. James, there's an example. Now I need to know a little bit about James. I know certain things about James immediately. I I could be like, well, that's a good, ooh, that was a bad example. Whatever the case may be, right? A servant of God. He has the attitude. He refers to himself as a slave. Whoa, that's an example to follow. That's an attitude that I need. And I can definitely think of some, t- uh, some, some specific sins that I need to confess in regards to not having the attitude of a servant. All right. Now, the 12 tribes scattered. I would have to do a little bit of work on that. So I'm not going to go into that right now. Now, verse two. My brethren, count it all joy. Count, there seems to be a command. Count it all joy when you face diverse temptations. All right? That's a command. It's an attitude. I need an attitude. And it could be a sin to confess. And, I, and again, if it is, I need to specifically write down. If, even when I say it's an attitude, I got to specifically say, here's the attitude that I need to change. Here's the attitude I typically have when I face diverse temptations. Here's the attitude I typically have. And then give Write down a specific example. The more real, the more transparent your application is, the greater chance the study changes you. The the goal of Bible study is to be transformed by it. And then I may say, Lord, I, I may even write out something to pray. I may write out a specific prayer write out a prayer that I'm going to pray maybe for the next five days about my lack of joy when I face diverse temptations. Or I may write out a prayer, a specific prayer, writing it out about um, that I'm going to pray for the next five days about not having the attitude of a servant or a slave. Verse three, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Whoa, verse three and four. What do we have in three and four? What do we have? Do we have a sin? I don't know about that. Do we have a promise? Is this a promise? 
knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, and you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Is that a promise? Is that a promise about the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith? Is that a promise about what happens with your faith? Now, is, is there a condition here? Is this a conditional promise, a, non, a, a non-applicable promise, or an unconditional promise? We could probably have an, a lengthy discussion about that. Let's go on. Attitude to change? Well, maybe, possibly. A command, don't really see a command. An example, don't really see an example. And pets, prayer to pray, error to avoid, or truth to believe. And then uh, also something to praise God for. I think we may have three things here. Follow me. Error to avoid. What error do I need to avoid? I need to, to avoid the error of thinking that when I'm, uh, that when I'm facing great trial and, and my faith, when I'm facing great difficulty and I'm facing pain, temptation, whatever, I, I need to avoid the error of thinking, well, that there's nothing bigger going on, that it's just circumstances. No, something is happening. There, look, I, I see trial, I see temptation, and I just made, these are the circumstances of life. These are the things you have to just deal with. You just got to deal with it. But what I, I need to avoid that error and just seeing this from a temporal earthly perspective, I've got to avoid that error. I've got to see it from a spiritual perspective. Right? A lot of people, everyone encounters difficulties in life, trial, temptation. We all encounter it. But I've got to see it not from an earthly perspective, but from an eternal spiritual perspective. The, it's, it's doing so. It's trying my faith. And that it, it's going to work something good. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. It's going to work patience. And that patience have our perfect work. It may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. That the trying of my faith I need to avoid the error in thinking it's just difficulties in life. I need to see that something bigger is going on. There's a truth here to believe. I need to see that the trying of my faith actually is the thing that works out spiritual maturity. I need to believe that the trying of my faith is essential to bringing about spiritual maturity so that I can be perfect, wanting nothing. Now, that perfect means complete. My, if I want spiritual maturity, if I truly want to experience spiritual maturity, then I've got to be willing to accept the trying of the faith. So I need to avoid the error of looking at my trying of my faith from just a fleshly perspective. I've got I to gotta accept the truth that this is designed to make me spiritually mature. So there's an error. There's a truth. There's something to praise God for. I praise God that uh, all of the difficulties, trials, and temptation that I may encounter, God's at work in and through them. I'm just not facing random circumstances that mean nothing. There's something bigger going on. There's something greater happening than beyond what I can see. This requires me at this point to walk by faith, not by sight. Because by sight, I just see pain, trouble, difficulty, and I can get frustrated and irritated by it. I got to step back and go, I got to avoid that error. I got to believe the truth that God is doing something. And I'm going to praise God that he is working in and through this, even though I can't see it and may not even want it. 
right? That, 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 does that make some sense? Maybe? All right? Um, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth it to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Right? Now, what do we do with verse 5? Well, we could say it's something to pray about. Pray for wisdom. Could be. Um, it could be a truth to believe. God is the one who gives wisdom. God is the source of wisdom. Right? That, that could be a truth to believe. It could be a promise. God promises you wisdom. He promises you wisdom if you pray, um, if you ask of him. Um, ask, but ask him in faith. So it, there's a promise of wisdom, but it's conditional and you asking for it. That seems to be uh, implied here. Um, we, we could do a little bit more there. We could do a little bit more there, but I want to get as far as I can here. All right. Um, verse, let's see, for, verse six, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, there's a lot going on here, all right? We got this wavering, this double-mindedness. Wavering, double-mindedness. So we got a lot here to, to look at. One, we have an attitude, that we have to work on. Do we have an attitude of, uh, would it be an attitude? I think I'm going to go with an attitude. Do we have a, 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 a wavering attitude, a double-minded attitude where we go back and forth? Back. In other words, we're very inconsistent in our attitude. We're wavering. We're double-minded. That would be an attitude I need to change. I don't need a wavering attitude. I, need, I don't need a double-minded attitude. I need a consistent one. I need a consistent one because a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That seems to be an attitude. That seems to be a sin I could need to confess. Depend, now, only it's only a sin to confess if you believe that's referring to you. Some people will just, oh, see, there's a sin to confess. If it doesn't apply to you, don't put it down. This is about you. You're examining you. You're doing surgery on you. People, I know people in my church who are unstable in all their ways and they're double-minded. Well, congratulations. No one asked you to do a Bible study application method on the people in your church. It's, the, it's you. It's you. You've got to start with you. You're, you're taking the scalpel to yourself. Um, an error to avoid. I think there's an error here to avoid. Double-mindedness. Wavering, that's an error to avoid. That's an error to avoid. All right? Yeah, I think there's an error to avoid. There's, maybe, there's kind of a truth there as well. Uh, anyone who is wavering, who is, a, who is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed, let that not 
let that man think, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. That's another, that's a truth to believe. It's a truth to believe that if you're wavering and you're double-minded, that you may not receive anything from the Lord. Now you could put this a part of the promise. You could put this a part of the promise that this is the condition for the promise. You want wisdom. You cannot be wavering. You cannot be double-minded. You could put it as a promise. And you would just say this is a conditional promise and here are the conditions. You could do it that way. At the same time, it's an error to avoid. At the same time, it's a truth to believe. It's a truth to believe. You need to believe the truth that you may not receive anything if you're unwavering and double-minded. God, that, I mean, that seems to be what the text is applying, implying. You would have to at least acknowledge that's what the text seems to be implying and then maybe work out exactly what that, that is referring to. It's an attitude to change and it may be a sin to confess. So there's a whole bunch of the things that could be applicable right here. A whole bunch of them. What I want you to see is that one thing may be applicable to a number of the, of the things in the acrostic. There may be a number of things in the acrostic that, that would fit right here. There'd be a number of things. All right. We're almost at an hour. All right. Verse uh, eight. Let the brother of low degree rejoice and that he is exalted, but the rich and that he is made low because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich and that he is made low because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass and the flower thereof falleth and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fadeth away in his ways. Well, we've got a lot we could work on here. All right. I think the concept is this. The brother of low degree rejoice and he is exalted. We should be rejoicing. We should have an attitude of joy and an attitude of rejoicing that in our, that as a believer, even in our low degree, we are exalted because we are made the sons of God. We have eternal life. Our sins are forgiven. In other words, what we need to do is we can, we have something to praise God for. We could go to the pets part. This is very important. We have an attitude to change. We need an attitude of rejoicing and that we see spiritual reality over materialistic and temporal reality. Rejoice over your spiritual wealth. Rejoice over your spiritual blessings far more than over materialistic blessings. This is trying to get your attitude to not look to the material, but to look to the spiritual. If you think about it, James 1 2 through 20 is all about changing your perspective. Do you have a spiritual perspective or do you have a earthly materialistic perspective? What do I mean by that? Well, if you have an earthly materialistic perspective, you don't have, you don't consider it all joy when you face diverse temptations and trials. No, you get frustrated, but a spiritual perspective lets you see, wait a minute, God is at work in it. God is at work in it. 
If you have a materialistic earthly perspective, you don't rejoice in you, your low degree. You don't, you don't rejoice in the fact that you don't have wealth and power and material goods. No, you get frustrated by it and maybe covetous and jealous and bitter. But if you see things from a spiritual perspective, you realize you've been exalted because you've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. You've been, the perfect righteousness of Christ has been imputed to your account. You're now an adopted son of God. You're a co-heir with Jesus Christ. This is try. this whole section here is really trying to challenge you to change your attitude so that you have an attitude that sees uh, that that rejoices and appreciates the spiritual reality far more than the materialistic reality, right? So that that's an attitude. Do you have that attitude where you're someone who rejoices in your low degree because you are exalted? You see the spirit how you've been spiritually exalted, and so therefore you result you re- rejoice in your earthly state. Do you, have the, do you have a proper attitude towards the spiritual versus the material? Maybe a sin to confess. You may not have this attitude. Now, if you don't have the attitude, you need to write out specifically how you don't have this attitude. Here could be an error to avoid. It could be a truth to be believed. It could be something to praise God for. All of this can be applicable right here. I mean, there's just, there, there's so much here that it's, all, it's actually hard even to try to grab onto everything because I'm, I'm already out of time. But I just want you to see the, the contrast here. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich man that he has made low uh, and that he has made low because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away for the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but withereth, withereth the grass and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also the rich man will fade away in his ways. The point is, the rich man, all that you have, everything that you've got, every materialistic thing, it's all going to burn away. It's all going to go away. It's all going to fall apart. It's all going to, you're not going to take it with you. Do you have the right attitude about the material and the earthly versus the spiritual and the heavenly. Here's some truth to believe. Here's some error to avoid. Here's something to praise God for. Here's an attitude to have, the right attitude to have, and it may be a sin to confess. You have a lot going on right there. A lot going on. And then the next verse, I'll just read one more. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. See what's going on in verse 12. You're blessed when you endure temptation and trials. You're blessed. Why? Because of a spiritual reality. From an earthly reality, you don't appear to be blessed. This is all about developing a right attitude, a right perspective. You got to get rid of the error of what all that matters is what I can see, touch, and feel. You got to have a heavenly, a heavenly perspective. The truth you need to believe is the, the truth of spiritual reality over what you see earthly. You have need to have an attitude that your attitude longs for and appreciates the spiritual over the material. It may be a sin to confess because you have the wrong sin. It may be an attitude you need to change because you have the wrong attitude. There's a promise here. 
there's a promise of, of, of receiving a crown of life, but you only, it's a conditional promise because you have to endure temptation. Now, we're going to have to stop right there. We could, we, could spend, we could spend literally hours on this, literally hours. Now, I know if I would have written it out beforehand, it would have, I, could have, I could have tried to put each thing properly in each category, but I didn't want to. I wanted to talk through it, just showing you that, it's, that the key here is reading it five times and then really, and we didn't even talk about this, it's spending a, a, a great amount of time of meditating upon it. The more you read, the more you meditate. And if you have this tool in your toolkit, you can pull out space pets. Remember space pets. I'll just go through the acronym one more time. Sins to confess, promises to claim, and when, or, I apologize. Sins to confess, promises. Remember, there's three categories of promises, not applicable, conditional, and unconditional. Attitude. There may be an attitude you need to change. Maybe an adi- maybe a, 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 a negative attitude you need to get rid of, or a positive attitude you need to adopt. Right? So, attitude commands. Is there a command to obey? Example, an example to follow or to avoid. That's space. And then pets is prayer to pray, error to avoid, truth to believe, and something to praise God for. There is space, pets. There is space, pets. Now you'll see a little bit. sometimes to work some of this, you've got to have a little bit of information about what's going on in the text. That's why typically this is saved for the end of other methods after you've kind of been able to figure out what's going on in the text, but you can still utilize the basic structure thinking about it. Now, when it's all said and done, you may identify attitudes, you may identify sins. I just got to stress this. You've got to write out specifically what sin you're confessing. You don't just generically say there's a sin to confess. What are you specifically confessing? What It's about you. There's an error to avoid. Specifically, how have you demonstrated that error? How have you demonstrated that wrong attitude? You've got to write down specifically what it is. It's not just generically going, there's an S, there's a P, there's an A. No, it's not like, you're just trying to get all the letters filled so you can scream bingo. It's not, you're not playing bingo. You're, you're doing surgery. You're doing spiritual surgery on yourself. And that's the hardest surgery to do. It's easy to grab the scalpel and try to go cut up other people. Uh, uh, people love the fact that the Bible is a sword. Everybody loves that. Okay. And they want to go swing it around and start you know, chopping up other people, right? I know that's a graphic illustration, but you get the idea. They're like, hey, I can go you, there you go. And we're, and we're, we're out there chopping off limbs and, and poking out eyes because we've got a sword. But remember that sword is a double-edged sword. You got, before you put the sword to work on anybody else, it's got to have done the surgical work on you. And when it starts doing that work on you, you start getting really uncomfortable and it's painful because you got to start cutting yourself open and you got to start acknowledging, well, that's, yeah, that's a sin. And here's how it is a sin to me. You've got to write it out. See, people don't want to take the time to write it out. They don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. But, but the key is, do you want to be changed by, by the Bible or you just want to become smarter? Some people just want to study so they can win debates. Some people just want to study so they can win arguments. Some people just want to study so they can get all the answers right in church. 
None of that is of any value other than making you spiritually arrogant, self-righteous and condescending and judgmental. It's got to be, you do the work on you and then you'll be broken and humble and hopefully begin to grow spiritually. Now, you're never going to be perfect because we have a sinful nature, but you're going to, you're going to be doing that work on you. I just don't want you, just don't give people the idea that it's just a race to see who can, space pets, I got them all. I got them all. What do I win? Absolutely nothing if all you're trying to do is win. What you should be doing is this, as you're doing space pets, this is kind of like, oh, this is so much fun. And then at some point you should start hearing. (laughs) And somebody like, what is wrong? What is wrong? No, (laughs) I'm a horrible sinner. I need to confess. I got error. I got, I've got all of these things. The person who sees themselves in doing space pets is the person doing it right. The person who just gets, finds all of the letters and finds a way to apply it to someone else is doing it all wrong. Okay. There you have it. And I'm just struck just going through this in an impromptu way, that James really is challenging our perspective. We have an earthly perspective. Do we see everything from a fleshly, earthly perspective? Or do we see things from a spiritual perspective, a heavenly perspective, an eternal perspective, which changes my whole attitude about everything, about temptation, about trial, about difficulties in life, about riches, because I, I see things from a spiritual perspective. Well, I'm, I'm greatly convicted because I tend to see things from a more earthly, fleshly perspective. And you can, you probably do as well. All right. Nobody asked any questions in the chat. So I'm going to assume everyone is just absolutely blown away by how well I've expounded this and explained this, that they're just like, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And they're just, they're just, they can't speak. They're just absolutely dumbfounded. They just don't even know what to say. Okay. Probably not the case. But hopefully that was beneficial and hopefully that was helpful to the individual who asked me to do this. Please let me know as soon as you can if this was beneficial because I know you need this. I know you need to be ready by Tuesday. So I need to know soon so that I can turn the microphone on again to do whatever I need to get you prepared and equipped. So the greatest thing ever. I don't know if it's the greatest thing ever, but uh, hopefully it was beneficial. I just want you to see that it's about... I, I I know I'm, I know I feel like you're probably tired of me saying it, but I just, I just, I've taught this method for so many years and so many times I just think people like, see, I got space pets. Boom, 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 boom. Look at me. Yeah. And, and you kind of want to say, well, did you write out an application? I mean, did you write anything? Like you said, sin to confess. Is that, is that a sin you're struggling with? Cause you sure didn't indicate anything on your paper. What sin you're, uh, how this applies to you. Now, I understand in some cases people will acknowledge, oh, I've got that written down somewhere in private. Okay, that's fine. I don't need to see that. But if you didn't write, sometimes it's just indicate, well, no, I mean, I just, that's a sin that I'm assuming some people need to confess. No, 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 no. It's about you. It's about you. The more real, the more transparent, the better it is of working, all right? Um, it's the better it is at working on, on us, it's it's something that it's just, it's so easy to become experts and figuring out what the Bible says. It's far different than letting that Bible 
I'll say it this way. I'll end with this. And thank you, Twyla, for saying that you're not tired of hearing me say it because now everyone else listening is like, I wish she would shut up because I'm tired of you saying it. But okay. I say this a lot. Are you mastering the Bible or are you being mastered by it? Are you trying to master the Bible? Are you allowing it to master you? I struggle with that because I want to master it. I want to know it. I want to understand it. I want to be able to explain it. I want to be the rightly to divide it. I want to have my doctrine right. I want to have every T crossed, every I dotted. I want it good. I want to, I want to be able to, to debate anyone about it. But I can do that and not being mastered by the Bible in any way, shape, or form. So I don't have, I don't have Christ-like attitude. I don't have Christ-like character qualities. I'm, I'm just, I'm a spiritual mess. Well, then of what value was all of it being mastered? All right, I think that's important. All right, I'll stop right there. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. If anyone else, if you heard this and you're like, I am so confused about how to do this, let me know. I, I'll turn on the microphone. I'm, I'm going to try to take the microphone home with me today because now I should be able to do some live broadcast from, from the house. And I'm telling you, if I, if I need to go live when I get home and spend another hour and a half, I will, I will spend as many hours as necessary to help you understand these concepts. Because typically you ask a Christian how they study the Bible and it's some haphazard, I read, I do this, I highlight a few things. And it's like, there's no method. It's just haphazard. I don't even know what it is, but they, they think they're actually studying. No, studying requires tools. And these methods are the tools. All right, there you go. All right, we should be back on the air here shortly. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.